please turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word. Well, we're looking, uh, God willing, at these uh, first 13 verses, time permitting, and my title for this morning is Made a Minister. Made a Minister. Paul was made a minister of the gospel, a proclaimer of these good tidings, of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And how thrilled he was to be in such a position. Maybe thrilled is not the best word, but how privileged he felt uh, to be in that position. And to him, who had been such a persecutor and such a hater of Christians, a destroyer of the church, and to him should be committed by the Lord this marvelous task, this marvelous commission to go and take the gospel to Gentiles, to the unknown, idolatrous world, the, the, the world that, ha, that had no knowledge of the true God, that worshipped idols and gods of their own making. Into this world, hardened, rebellious, Paul was sent with this mission and with this task to preach Christ, preach salvation. What tremendous victories the Lord gave him, what tremendous accomplishments, churches established all over the place in Asia Minor and abroad, further afield, in, uh, in uh, Europe at the time, what is now Europe, in uh, Philippi and Corinth and so on. Amazing things that the Lord did through this man. But it never went to his head. He never got so uh, puffed up about his position. He always, as we read here, here, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. He always held that, and God willing, we will come and touch on these things. Well, I hope, as I said, we're able to cover uh, everything. But we saw last week in chapter 2, we've been seeing how Paul has been unraveling or the, the mystery uh, of, of God that's been hidden, that mystery about the church. And now this, there is this new entity uh, in the new age, in that new age uh, of, of the Christian church, the Christian era, that now Jew and Gentile are together. It was something amazing at that time. For us now, 2,000 years later, we're used to it. It's, it doesn't seem such a big thing to us. Oh, all the nations coming together. But at that time, it was, it was unknown. The Jews were separate from the Gentiles. And they almost thought it will never be. And Paul had went through and he suffered a lot because of, of preaching to the Gentiles. But God had different ideas. God's plan, God's purpose was always that there should be an international church of Jesus Christ where people from all different tribes and languages and nations come together as one to worship Him. Well, friends, I shouldn't probably digress here. I'm doing what Paul's doing. But, I, I, you know, there you get some places, some churches where there are only a certain, uh, a certain group. There is only a certain nationality because the language sometimes is difficult, so people get together, but it's much better if we're all together. Uh, every nationality is represented in the church. 
and not just specifically for one particular ethnic group. So here, Paul has been teaching about this one new man, this, this church made up of saved Jews and saved Gentiles. Equal. Now the Gentiles have equal access to the Father, just like the saved Jews. No difference. And if Paul is driving this home uh, to uh, the Ephesians. You're the same, entitled to the same blessings, the same privileges that the, uh, the saved uh, Jews are. But in this chapter, he moves, takes us on a little bit, because now he's going to tell us a little bit more about his role and his part in propagating that message. That wasn't a part that he chose, not something that he took on of himself. He didn't choose that role. God gave him this mission. God chose him, God prepared him, God gifted him so that he could take this message out uh, to the Gentiles. And he's going to tell us uh, a little bit more about it. It didn't seem, when you read this now, it doesn't seem like he intended to talk about it. Because in verse 1 he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. It seems like he's going to talk a little bit more about what he's been saying in chapter 2. He's going to advance something. What's he going to say? What are you going to say, Paul, for this cause? But then he digresses. He digresses to something different. And he begins to tell us about his call and how he received the revelation and, and how uh, God prepared him and used him. Uh, in brief, he, he digresses uh, into this. And he only comes back to his subject in verse 14. In verse 14, you can see how, again, we know uh, it was probably a digression because he begins in the same way as verse 1. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that was what he originally intended to say. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, now that you're in the church, now you're part of the church, I'm praying for your edification, I'm praying for your growth, I'm praying for your progress, I'm bow, going to bow my knees before God. That was his initial intention, but he digressed here. Some, somebody has called him, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of tangents and digressions, because he so often went apart and sort of forewent for, uh, style and just said, what well, something came to his mind, and he just wrote and wrote. What well, then? Of course, he was inspired. He was inspired by the Spirit. But we can see even in this how uh, God uses uh, human authors and their human styles, uh, and yet together with the Spirit is inspired by God. God wanted us to know these things, and so they are left for us uh, on record. So, verse one, Paul says, "For this cause." I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. We know that he was in, this was his first imprisonment in Rome. It's about AD 61, 62. And he's there because he's been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And we know that from, from Acts. Uh, when he returned to Jerusalem on one occasion, and they found the Jews, found him in the temple, and they rose, a mob rose up against him, and they would have done in with him, they would have killed him, they would have murdered him, but the Romans came in and sort of rescued Paul uh, from their hands, and then uh, he was taken eventually to Caesarea, and then onwards to Rome, where now he is. But it was because they were so angry. Why were those Jews so angry with Paul? Because he'd been preaching and teaching the Gentiles. That's one of the reasons they thought he brought 
Gentiles into the temple of God. They didn't like him for that. And uh, they, they accused him falsely of many things, but they hated the fact. You remember, they, they so disliked uh, Paul that, that some of them, even who said they believed in Jesus, they went out to the churches that Paul planted and they were telling people, you must not only believe in Jesus, you must also be circumcised. They were called the Judaizers. So these people were hounding Paul wherever he went, causing trouble in the churches. Well, friends, uh, Paul uh, suffered not only from these, but also, of course, from uh, the Gentiles uh, in a certain degree. But now he is in prison. And he says, but he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. This is the point I want to get across. He's, he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome, uh, even though the Romans ha 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 have chained him. The Romans have restricted him. He's in under house arrest, yet he labels himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He takes that situation from the Lord. He looks beyond second causes to the first cause. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And friends, that's a lesson for us. Sometimes un un unpleasant things happen to us, difficult situations maybe that we are in even now, and we we maybe people are even arising up against us. People are opposed to us in some way or other. What do we do? Do we get angry with those people? Do we vent our fury upon those people? No, look beyond them. You're the Lord's. If you are the Lord's, you can look beyond them and see you are the Lord. Uh, sends these things. The Lord allows these things. The Lord allows people to even say all these unpleasant things for a reason. Maybe to train me. To make me more gracious. To deal with my character. But then verse 2, Paul goes on to say, if ye have heard, or a better word would be, since ye have heard, uh, because they knew, uh, since ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Dispensation, what's that? Well, that word uh, means administration, or a, a good word is stewardship. The stewardship of the grace of God that is given to me. A steward, and that, in those times, well, he had the oversight, he had the management of a household or an estate, and he had to make sure that uh, everything was done while the, the owner was, was away. The, the, the owner would entrust this responsibility uh, to the steward made to make sure the, the servants did what they were supposed to do, but also to make sure that they were paid to make sure that the benefits that the owner was passing on had for the servants, well, they would come via the steward. The steward had that responsibility to pass on these benefits to the, of the owner to the servant. And so Paul says here that he has been given this stewardship of the grace of God. God has entrusted him with the gospel, the gospel of grace, that salvation is free. Salvation is unmerited. This is what has been entrusted to him, and it's through Christ alone, not through any works of our own. And he's got to take this gospel of grace and preach it to the Gentiles. This is his office. This is his calling. This is his commission to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles, which is given me to you, word. If I can just read to you uh, Acts chapter 26. This is what he said. This is his own testimony, Acts 26, verse 
16. <clears throat> and the Lord said to him, on that Damascus road, he's relating what happened, but rise, the Lord said to him, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee, Paul, for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in me. And then listen to these words, friends. Listen to his response. He's talking to King Agrippa. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. He received this commission, and then he tells us, I obeyed it. I did what the Lord told me uh, to do. Well, friends, it's not only Paul who has received a commission. All of us have received a commission. Every believer, not in the same degree, not to the same kind of calling, but each one of us have received a commission from Christ personally to be a witness of his. We are given the stewardship of the gospel to give out to others. The stewardship, that responsibility has been entrusted to us, that those people who are within our circle of friends, those people who are uh, our colleagues or our neighbors or our family members even who are unsaved, they should be on our minds, they should be on our prayers. How can I reach them? Praying for opportunities to to say something of the Lord for them. This should be a burden, as it were, in our hearts that we long to reach out to them, not just to pass through life just happy that I'm a believer and say, praise God, I'm a believer, and not think about those around us. Well, friends, we must, like Paul here, be concerned for the unbelievers. You remember that event in the Old Testament, you can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 7, very quickly related to you, but when the city of Samaria was under siege from the Syrians, and there was no food in the city, and people were perishing because of hunger, and they had really had literally nothing to eat, and many were dying, well, God, in that uh, perilous time, God did a mighty miracle. And he, uh, the Syrians were surrounding the city, but he made them hear as if the sound, there was a the sound of an approaching army. It wasn't really an army, but they, God sent such a sound, they thought it was an approaching army. And they all fled for their lives. They all ran as fast as they, as they could, just to save the, their own skin. But they left everything behind. In the camps were the horses, in the camps were all the food, and all the other uh, the, the material things that they had left behind. And there was plenty of food there, which was, which was there. But it was, it was discovered, this uh, food was discovered by four lepers. Four lepers who said, let's just go out and, and, you know, give ourselves to the Syrians. And they went out and they found such an abundance of food. And at first, they just indulged themselves. And they kept things of the, they found themselves. Then their conscience smit them. They said, no, 
we do wrong today. These are their words. We do not well, they said one to another. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we keep it to ourselves, some trouble will come upon us. And they felt, no, we must share these things with our uh, fellow countrymen who are uh, in famine and are great need. Same for us, isn't it? It's a, it's a lesson, a picture for us. We must be taking the gospel to others. Not called to be apostles, that's no more, but we are called to be uh, witnesses. Oh, friends, if only we felt more this entrust, this, this which has been entrusted to us, we'd be more concerned to dispense the gospel. But verse 3, how that by revelation he, <coughs> he made known unto me the mystery. The mystery? What's that? Well, it's what he's been talking about in chapter 2. The mystery of uh, the church, that now the Jew and Gentile are together. This international church, this one new man, saved Jews and saved uh, Gentiles, worshipping together on equal footing before God. This is the mystery that uh, he is, he's, uh, he's talking about. Something which was, uh, which was hidden, he says in verse uh, 5, which was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets. This, this teaching, this doctrine about the international church, well, it was not completely hidden before Christ came. People in the Old Testament, they knew about it. Of course they did. There were many uh, verses, which I'll, I'll mention one or two in, in a minute, but they were, they were not entirely unclear, but they didn't know the full picture. They didn't know the full story and how it was going to happen. But just sticking for a minute with this word uh, mystery, here Paul says, God made known unto him uh, the mystery. Something, it means something that uh, uh, God uh, keeps to himself, something that is, is secret, something that is uh, hidden and kept away. Uh, and only now has been made uh, known. Something that couldn't be found out, hidden in God, it couldn't be found out until God actually revealed it, until God made it known. And that's what is, is happening here. Oh, friends, um, man thinks, you know, man thinks he can find out anything. Man thinks, nothing is beyond me. I can find out anything I want. It just takes time. Just takes research, or we'll get there in the end. In due time, we'll discover this, and we'll discover that, and we'll find the answer to this and that. You won't. Yes, there is much that God has left to us to discover, and we're thankful to Him for that, but there are things which He keeps to Himself. You can't, you can't know them unless God reveals them to you, unless He shows them to you. Oh, friends, we are, we are so small, what do we know? God in comparison to God. But Paul says here, these things had been revealed to him. Galatians 1 verse 12, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, as I wrote afore in a few words, that's not a previous letter, but what he's been speaking about in chapter 2. And then verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. So, not entirely, as I said, that this mystery about the church, well, it was in the Old Testament. Genesis, from Genesis all the way 
uh, up to the end of the Old Testament to Malachi. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the words to Abraham, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Not just the Jews. Isaiah 56, verse 7, mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And then these wonderful words uh, in Isaiah 49, verse 6, tremendous words, friends. It's a it's uh, the Lord, uh, the God speaking to the Son. It's a, is it, sorry, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel just for the Jews. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. That's what was always in the mind of God. And spiritual men no doubt would have seen these things, but the thing was... They didn't know exactly. They didn't know all the answers. It wasn't so clear. How would God bring these things about? How would this new era be administered? Would circumcision still be relevant in in that time? Would the Jews or would the Gentiles be on a par with the Jews? Or would there be two different levels? How inclusive would that new administration be? Would these Jews, would these Gentiles be fully accepted or partially accepted? Would they have all the privileges, some of the privileges? They didn't know the answers. But now, now Paul says, through his teaching, all has been made plain. All has been made uh, clear to happen. How would God bring about this inclusion of the, the Gentiles into the church? Well, they didn't know these things. But now, Paul, uh, uh, through Paul's teaching, through the Lord's teaching, it's all made plain and clear uh, to us. And so, uh, uh, Paul tells us here, these things were revealed not only to him, but to other apostles, uh, like Peter, we know, he received that teaching about uh, that he shouldn't, the vision uh, that he shouldn't call unclean, that unclean which God had called uh, clean, and referring to the saved Roman believers, so these things were known to the other apostles as well as to the prophets in the church at that time. So precious things for these Gentile believers to hear and to know. Verse 6, that this is the mystery once again, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Fellow heirs, again, the same message, equal uh, with the Jews, not second class. There are a good number of Christians today who treat Jews as, for, as on a higher level than Christians. They, oh, you, they meet a Jew, oh, you're a Jew, oh, wonderful. And they're so, they're so keen to meet Jewish people. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing. But they're, they're sort of in some people's mind, I remember one person, and he really, he was a believer, but he really wanted to marry a Christian Jew, as if that was something better and higher than marrying a normal Christian. I used to wonder, what's believers and unbelievers and Jewish believers are the same. They're on the same level. We're not, this is what this verse, fellow heirs. This is what this verse is teaching us. We don't, people who say such things, who elevate well, the Jews, well, they're, they're, show, they're, they're still saying, well, the Jews are a class above believers. 
So we need to be a little bit careful of that. Of the same body, partakers of the Old Testament promises in Christ. All those promises of Christ and which were given to Israel are there also for the church. Verse 7, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. Paul didn't take this office to himself, but God equipped him for it. Made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. God equipped him, God gifted him to carry out his work. But then verse 8, I must uh, quickly rush on. Verse 8, Paul says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul felt so privileged to be given this commission. So privileged. You can feel it, isn't it, when you read uh, these words. Unto me is given this great privilege. Who am I? When I look at my life, he says to himself, when I look at how I persecuted the church, when I look how I went hounding after believers to arrest them and to take them from their homes and from their, church, their, their gatherings and to bring them all the way back to Jerusalem. I went from place to place seeking out uh, these uh, believers to arrest them. My aim, my intention at that time was to destroy the church, to obliterate it from the face of the earth. This is how he felt. This is what he's remembering as he says even these things. And yet I have been given this wonderful privilege. God has so changed me. God has so turned me around by his grace. God has been so gracious to me to give me this task now to go and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ uh, to others. And he's, he does this no glorying here. I am uh, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Somebody today would say, oh, Paul, Paul, you need a bit more self-esteem here, Paul. What are you doing? You need a little bit more, think, think positively, Paul. You, can, you can't say that about yourself, that you are the, the least of all the saints. Oh, friends, this is biblical language. This is worldly languages. I am great. I am the best of the best. You see this in our political climate now, isn't it? And I am prime minister. I'm not even there yet. I am prime minister. I will do this. I will do that. Well, we are not great. People put, the world teaches you, put across your greatness, put across uh, your, your strong points. Only speak about your strong points. If somebody asks you a question about what are your weak points, you can turn it around. You can manipulate it in such a way to say, this is actually a strong point for me. Oh, what's your weak point? I work very hard. I'm very enthusiastic. I never have time in my family. Well, you've turned it around, isn't it? But Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, well, I am weak. I am the least of all uh, saints. He retains his uh, humility. Oh, friends, uh, one, one godly man, I, I have, cannot remember uh, who said this. He once wrote, just because Christ has forgiven me, doesn't mean I should forgive myself. We should pause and think about that. Just because Christ has forgiven me all my sins, it doesn't mean I have a right to forgive myself. And perhaps Paul uh, felt like that. And if we feel like that, well, that will help us, help to keep us humble. Oh, how we need so much help to keep humble. 
If we don't make efforts to keep humble, pride will, will, will creep up again in some way or other. We must make efforts like these to think such thoughts like these which Paul thinks. It's not uh, putting oneself down, but just thinking soberly about ourselves. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, what can we say here? The riches which, can, which are in Jesus, which cannot be fully explored, cannot be fully ascertained. You cannot reach the depths that are found in Christ. You cannot plumb the depths that are found in this God-man. It's not capable of being fully searched out. It's unsearchable. Oh, friends, when you think about Christ, and you think that he is God, fully God, and fully man, oh, we can say a little bit about it. We can say some things about it, but how can we explain it fully to, to other people or even to ourselves? We cannot. We cannot fully understand when we think about the role of Christ in redemption, and especially Calvary, and we look at Calvary and we pray, Oh Lord, make me understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. But I can't. I can't. Those three hours of darkness, and Christ was bearing uh, the sins of his people and all who will trust in him, and dying in such great agony, a spiritual agony in his soul, above the physical agonies, but how can I enter and plumb those depths? I cannot. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, we can say some things about it, but not uh, to its depths. There is so much in him. How little a portion is known of Christ, friends. And yet we have a portion which is wonderful and does thrill our hearts when we think about it. And it does cause us to rejoice when we muse upon it. We think about his triumphs. We think about what he's done in the world. Sins with the church. We think about his grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. We think about his love. Even the apostle Paul. Surely Paul was closest to Christ than anyone. And yet even he could say in verse 18, well, uh, or verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge is beyond him. The length and breadth and height and depth of it. Oh, friends, there is so much uh, in Christ. And Paul had the privilege to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, those things that we do know about him. And he felt so privileged. Well, uh, let's move on maybe to uh, verse, uh, verse 10. Uh, and then I think we'll come to a close. So verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and, and powers uh, might in heavenly places might be known by the church, or rather maybe I'll just say verse 9, to make all men see, not only the Gentiles, but also all men uh, Paul desired to preach these things to and to give them understanding in them. And then verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers as the holy angels in, uh, in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, the variegated wisdom of God, the greatly diverse wisdom of God. Now, friends, this is interesting. That the, that the angels in heaven, the good angels, those who haven't fallen, are observing and watching what's happening in our world and are especially observing what's happening in the church. They are learning. 
The angels are receiving an education by what God is doing with the church. And they're learning from this, the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God. Of course, they saw already, they observed God's wisdom in creation, and especially in his creation of intelligent men and women. But how horrified they must have been when they saw those men and women fall, and they saw rebellion against the Maker, and they saw men and women not yielding to, to God, rebelling, disobeying their Maker. They must have been horrified to see these things, that uh, such things, they obey instantly the, 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 their Creator. But here were men and women refusing to worship, but then they marvel when they see that plan of salvation unfolding uh, in history, and especially when the Son of God leaves heaven, and they wonder, what's he going to do? What's he going to, what's he going to, what will happen when he goes? And they see him dying and making an atonement for sin, that the wisdom of God and Christ coming and satisfying God's justice so that a way may be opened for sinners to be forgiven their sin. Well, they marveled at this. They marveled when they saw that God didn't choose the great and the mighty to take, propagate the gospel. He chose ordinary men. He used women or ordinary women to tell out the gospel. The, the gospel went into all the world through, through just a handful of believers. God did this. We would, we would choose the best of the best. But God's ways are different from ours. And especially when they observed how God worked uh, to bring people into the church, how he melted hard hearts, how the Spirit of God took away that rebellion from people, how people were brought to repent of their sins. Again, these things were marveled. The way God did these things are a source of education to angels on high, sanctification and so on. Oh, friends, many, many people also ask this question. Maybe you've asked it, why? Did God permit the fall? Why did God allow a man and women, Adam, to sin? Why did God not intervene and do something? He could have done. Yes, he could have done. He could have done. He could have prevented it. Well, there are a number of answers to this question, but here is one. The fall gave God an opportunity to demonstrate his glory, to demonstrate his uh, wisdom. If man had remained upright, if man had obeyed, uh, then uh, God couldn't dis display uh, certain aspects of his wisdom as we have now seen. Uh, we, couldn't, we wouldn't have known how gracious God is, how kind God is. We would, the Son of God would never have come from heaven to die on Calvary's cross. That only happened because of the fall of man. God is glorified even through the fall. The fall, as it were, opened the door for God to come and display different aspects of uh, his wisdom, of his power, of his grace, of his kindness to fallen man. And what happens as we when we see these things? We glorify God. We admire him even in the fall that he has uh, revealed such precious aspects of himself which we would never have seen. They would have remained invisible to the angels and to ourselves. Well, verses 11 to 13, this was the eternal purpose. And then verse 12, 
through Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Verse 13, wherefore I desire that you faint not. Don't lose heart at my tribulations for you. He says to these Ephesians, which is for your glory, for your honor, for your advance. Well, friends, I conclude just to remind you that those two words in verse 8, catch a hold of these two words, unto me, unto me, take it for yourself, unto me God has been gracious, unto me God has forgiven all my sins, unto me God has given me a new life, unto me God has given a commission. Take these words, friends, to yourself. Feel the weight of them, how privileged and blessed we are uh, as individuals to know the Lord's touch and blessing. Well, you've done very well in this hot day uh, to stand, uh, to, to continue listening. Let's close by singing our final hymn, 463. Lord, speak to me that I may speak. 463.